0: Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. Welcome to another Defend This Movie with returning champion like Jeopardy, a Secret Movie Club team member, writer, filmmaker, cinephile. Patrick McElroy. How are you doing, Patrick? Doing good, doing good. And today, Patrick and I, just off camera, off mic, were uh, sort of commiserating about our shared Catholic background. And today, we're talking about one of the most famous Catholic filmmakers of all time, Martin Scorsese. Today, though, Patrick and I are talking about late-period Scorsese, specifically two movies, Hugo which uh, Patrick is a big fan of, but I am more cold on, even though I think it's consummately made. It's, It's not one I've ever returned to. I've only seen it once. And Wolf of Wall Street, which is a movie I love and I think is one of his strongest of his later period, and Patrick thinks is okay, but not at the level of Hugo. Is that fair? Yeah, or even The Irishman or Silence. You're talking to two people who love Scorsese, but interestingly, I feel a little differently on some of his later period work, which I always think is a good conversation. Future Connor, tell us what's
1: uh, on the docket right now. What are we doing here at Secret Movie Club? Well, this Wednesday, October 5th, at the Secret Movie Club Theater, we're introducing a new night of filmmaking collaboration and inviting up to 10 writers and 20 actors to come into workshop scenes with each other. Uh, You can find out more information about that at secretmovieclub.com. On Thursday, October 6th, we're doing a 16mm triple feature, The Monster of Piedras Blancas, The Giant Gilla Monster, and Robot Monster with a 16mm horror trailer pre-show. And that's a collaboration with Michael Aguirre.
0: So as always, uh, you can check out what we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. You can get tickets at Eventbrite, secretmovieclub.com, and you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Let's just start with opening statements on Hugo and Wolf of Wall Street, and then in the debate we can go wherever. So my opening statement here is, there are very few Scorsese movies that I am blah on. Most of them I either really, really, really like, or outright love. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Even movies like Boxcar Bertha, I really like. I watch Boxcar Bertha. I find it interesting because he's making a movie for Corman, and I like seeing what he storyboarded. I like movies like Kundun. Not that anyone's arguing that, but I've seen Kundun several times, and it's not necessarily one that gets screened a lot or that people talk a lot about. But there are a few Scorsese movies that I uh, I'm like ah, okay, I'm not hugely hot on New York, New York. That's the only one of his early period that I'm not hot on. I'm not a huge bringing out the dead fan. I think it's much funnier than people give it credit for, but I'm, I've never felt the need to revisit that. And I'm also not a huge aviator fan. I've seen it once and I was like, oh, it just felt like him making a Miramax Weinstein movie. And I, I think that DiCaprio is great in it. There's the scene where the plane crashes in the house. I think is amazingly edited. I love Kate Blanchett in that movie. And the Aviator has a cut I love where he's running his hand up Cape Blanchett's back and it cuts to him running his hand up the airplane. So even in Scorsese movies, I'm eh on. There's always things that I love. Hugo, I like better, actually, than all those movies I just named. I think Hugo is a good movie. I love that Scorsese is playing with 3D in that movie, but I think its weakness, in my opinion, is its strength. And that's, that I don't think that's a kid's movie. When I saw Hugo, what I saw was a movie about a film director, George Méliès, who realizes that everything he loves about movies is done with, and that he, in a way, is done with. And what I saw in Hugo was a filmmaker, Scorsese, who sees that the future is digital, the future is computer, mourning the death of cinema as he knew it, which was film. That's how I read Hugo, and so I think that Hugo fails i don't think it's a kids movie i love sasha baron cohen i think he's hilarious in it i like the two child leads i like uh, christopher lee and and other things but i just don't think that hugo works on the most fundamental level it's supposed to work on which is it's supposed to be a fun kids movie and uh it's not i mean a dude dies by fire you know you have a shot of ben kingsley weeping into his wife's arms and that's the most emotionally powerful moment of the movie it seems like it's from a different movie Wolf of Wall Street on the other hand in my opinion it's like I, I, I'm trying to think of these movies that sometimes the old guys do to kind of school the young dudes and to me Wolf of Wall Street is the same way I feel when I watch Lou Boonwell's uh, That Obscure Object of Desire or Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut or David Lynch's Twin Peaks, The Return, or even Spielberg. You know, when Spielberg wanted just being like, I'm still going to show you guys how it's done. Like, I can still tap into a wild, youthful energy. And to me, Wolf of Wall Street, which is famously about real-life figure Jordan Belfort, who found out that he could scam all of his clients with penny stocks, and just made a killing doing something that was completely morally bankrupt I find that movie hilarious I probably along with after hours I would argue and I I love the king of comedy but it's a different movie I would argue that Wolf of Wall Street's in some ways is Scorsese's most out-and-out hilarious comedy it has some of the biggest laughs I think it's one of the best collaborations between him and DiCaprio I do not think it's a perfect movie I want to be very clear I think it goes on a half hour too long and I don't know that the ending not the ending ending which I love. I love the whole thing of sell me this pen. I love the last scene. But the last 20 minutes of the movie as the FBI is closing in on him and he sort of is, am I going to turn in my friends? Am I not? And he gets wired. That part of the movie, I was like, I get it. I don't know that we need 30 minutes of this. But I do think it has one of Scorsese's greatest sequences since Goodfellas. And that's the sequence where he takes the lewd and he suddenly like crawls to his car and then he drives home. I think that's one of Scorsese's greatest sequences since Goodfellas. And I love the movie. And I think the movie has an energy and a humor. And I think it's pointed and I think it's one of his great late period movies. And it's a movie I go back to more than Hugo. Hugo I go back to if I want to see a respectful, mournful movie about the death of a kind of cinema.
2: I actually love New York, New York. I think it's an interesting experiment, Uh, even though it's flawed. I love Bringing Out the Dead. That's one of my top dozen favorite Scorsese movies. I'll give you Aviator. Uh, It's a very conventional Oscar bait movie. It's good, but... And it is good. yeah. Yeah. But it just doesn't feel like him. As far as Hugo, your argument that it's not a kid's movie, I actually find that it is a kid's movie. I've had co-workers over the years who I've mentioned Scorsese too when I have worked at odds and other of jobs, and some of them have been like five, six years younger than me, and they ask, who's that? And I mention, oh, he did uh, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, um, They'll Shrug, they don't know those, and then I'll mention Hugo, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that when I was a kid. Matter of fact, at the Academy Theater, one of the employees there, who's about oh, 23 years old... He saw the movie when he was 12 years old, and it got him into movies. I actually find it to be one of his best films because I see it more as a movie about a child discovering an older director, vice versa, Um, because Scorsese was a child with asthma growing up in New York, very isolated from the world. And you see that with the main character, Hugo, played by Issa Butterfield, in a clock tower in the walls of a train station, just observing humanity, observing the people uh, who live in that train station, very humanistic sort of approach he has to it, almost like Renoir, ultimately taps into how, as artists, as filmmakers were observers to life. And I don't know, I grew up fairly um, isolated from the world also. I just didn't connect with it. So I strongly identified with seeing that as a teenager in a movie, watching this kid observe the world. Also, like Scorsese, uh, the main character discovers George Melies, who is desolate, who is a has-been. Very similar to how Scorsese discovered his filmmaking hero, Michael Powell, in his later years living in England. Because Scorsese wasn't sure if Michael Powell was a real person. He thought maybe that Powell and Pressburger were just names they put on British movies, kind of like Alan Smithy. And in the movie, they believe that George Melies is dead, but he isn't dead. He's alive. That's what the film historian character says. It is ultimately about preserving film for future generations, and about how technology connects people, and especially in the final shot of the movie, I always find it very heartwarming and very moving. After the restoration of uh, the film's amelies, and they're all at his house afterwards, and there's a wonderful cam shot of everyone we've observed and witnessed in the movie that Hugo has always been detached from, that he's now a part of as a community, and film brings out that community— So I find it to be a very heartwarming movie, a very emotional experience, because the movie is also about grief, because he loses his father early on in the film, and Scorsese, it's coming out 18 years after he lost his father, so he's still kind of coming to terms with that. And Scorsese had a child in 1999, so it's almost his way of looking at the world anew, reminding himself of his own childhood and coming to terms with it. So it's one of his most personal films he's ever made. Wolf of Wall Street, on the other hand, I do like it, but it was more Leonardo DiCaprio who wanted to make it than Scorsese. And Scorsese basically had to make it because he wanted to make Silence. So it wasn't as personal a movie. Also, Even though I like it, and I love that Quaalude, uh, Lamborghini or Ferrari, whatever scene is, that almost plays like Jerry Lewis or Jacques Tati, but I just find the movie very one-note at times. We get it. I loved the movie when I was a teenager, but to me, as the older I get, the less I love it. I still really like it, but I just watch it, and I think, okay, I get it. He's addicted to greed. He's addicted to excess, And it kind of repeats its point over and over again. And I feel it's more of a surface film where Scorsese normally delves deeper into morality, into his characters. So it just felt very surface to me. In a way, the movie is what I call a Jerry the actor. That's a reference to the scene in Annie Hall where Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are looking at her ex-boyfriends. And one of them is Jerry the actor. He's played by that one character actor who's been in a lot of DC stuff. I'm blanking on his name. Julian Glover? Or? John Glover, that's John it. John Glover, yeah. Yes. Um, and he's this long-haired guy with a tight shirt, and he's talking to the younger Diane Keaton, and Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are looking at them, um, and he says, acting, it's like entering into the soul. He's just saying really obvious, pretentious, ridiculous things, and Woody Allen is rolling his eyes, and he looks at the older Diane Keaton, and he says... How could you have fallen for this guy? And she says, I was young. Well, I see it's not just people we know. It could be a public figure we admire. It could be a book or a movie we see. It's someone or something that we think is deep and profound at a younger, more naive age. Then when we get older, we find that it's either obvious, pretentious, or not as smart as it thinks it is. So that's Jerry the actor. And... Wolf of Wall Street just seems obvious to me and just feels very one note at times. But I do really like the movie. I think it is funny. Also, it just felt very routine for him. It felt recycled from Goodfellas and Casino, in a sense. Starting uh, at a later point, then going back in time, and then following um, the ups and then the downs where Hugo broke new ground for him thematically and stylistically. He had never made a movie like that. Francis Ford Coppola once said of Scorsese, if someone like Exxon went up to him and said, we think you're one of the greatest artists in the world, and we're going to finance every one of your movies for the rest of your career, I'm curious to see what movies he would make. He wouldn't be making a lot of what he's making right now, Not that he thinks they're not good, and they are good, but he would be making something more personal. So I find that he made movies like Shutter Island and Wolf of Wall Street so he could make more personal movies like Hugo or Silence. And normally someone like DiCaprio comes to him and wants him to make a movie that is a little more commercial or... A little more Oscar-friendly, where really, he wants to take risks as a filmmaker. He wants to explore himself. And I've always had a rule, if you saw Shutter Island and Wolf of Wall Street, which are good movies, but you didn't see Hugo or Silence, you're not a Scorsese fan.
0: You're a Leonardo DiCaprio fan. So you make... A lot of very compelling points. Hugo, and I feel he's very good at this. He often can find a way into a movie that's personal for him. So I understand what you're saying about identifying himself also in the Hugo character. I think more so in the Hugo character. Than, than the Meliers character. I see that. I understand that. I also think that Hugo has a lot of great stuff going for it. I loved... How, you know, if you're a film fan, you know that one of the first films ever made was the Lumiere's film of the train coming to the station. And then he references that in a nightmare that Hugo has of the train crashing at us in 3D. And it also pays homage to um, La Bete Humaine, the genre noir picture. And I love all that stuff. I think Sacha Baron Cohen, I remember now that you reminded me of the last shot. Sacha Baron Cohen has a really hilarious line in that last shot where oh, he's yeah. like, The guy's like, oh, my wife's pregnant with our first child. And he's like, when was the last time you saw your wife? And he's like, 13 months ago. And he's like, (laughs) oh. (laughs) There's a lot to admire in Hugo. And as we've said a lot, ultimately, I keep discovering the film is subjective. I can only tell you what I love. You really responded to Hugo. And I respect that. I can see how you would respond to Hugo. It is Scorsese taking a chance. You know, you make a good point, too, that people don't give Scorsese enough credit for how many departures in his career, you know, how many chances he's taken. He could have just made gangster movies his whole life. I mean, he could have just gotten those funded or what have you. But after Mean Streets, the next movie he makes is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. A woman's film. A woman's film. After Taxi Driver, he makes New York, New York. After Goodfellas, he makes Cape Fear is like only out and out horror movie. And then he makes The Age of Innocence, a costume drama. After uh, Wolf of Wall Street, he makes Silence. After The Irishman, he's making, you you know. Uh, Modern Western set in the 20s. And, you know, he made Kundun about the Dalai Lama. So, you know, I get the feeling that Scorsese, and I admire the hell out of this, is he'll take movies that are challenges because he wants to discover a new film language every time he makes a movie. So as you were saying, he knows how to make Goodfellas. He knows how to make Casino. And I've heard directors talk about this. Yes, they could, he could go on doing that. But how do you make Kundu? You can't make Kundu the way that you made Goodfellas. And then how do you make Silence? Or how do you make uh, The Irishman? And The Irishman is stylistically nothing like Casino or Goodfellas. It's very- A lot of grays and a lot of dark blues. It has a funeral parlor look. Absolutely, and a, very, and a different style, which a style I love. I definitely hear what you're saying. I'm not arguing that Hugo is bad, and I'm not even arguing that Hugo is in a Scorsese movie. I concede all your points. And maybe if I talked to a bunch of kids, they'd be like, oh, I love Hugo. I'd say eight
2: and over, not as much for toddlers or little kids, but more for eight-year-olds and
0: over. It's a movie I admire, but it's not a movie I ever have a desire to watch again. That's a subjective thing, but I usually, over time, begin to gauge the movies that are very meaningful for me by how many times I revisit them. Not always. Like, I've never rewatched Umberto D, and I love that movie, and you wrote a great piece about it. Oh, yeah. Um, Umberto D is a masterpiece. One of my
2: top 20 or so. It's
0: incredible. I will watch it. If you told me, hey, let's put on Umberto D right now, I'd watch it again. But if you said, let's put on Hugo, I'd have to take a breath. I'd be like, Okay. <laughs> It's just not one that I'm going to dive into. If you said, let's watch Wolf of Wall Street again, I'd be like, hell yeah. I mean, I I think I even have it <laughs> here. Now, the funny thing about what you're saying with Wolf of Wall Street, it's it, this is one of the paradoxical things about Scorsese. One of my favorite Scorsese movies is Color of Money. I love Color of Money. That's one of my least favorites. And I've heard, I think you even told me a story that Scorsese said he didn't really view it as a personal movie, that he was just showing that he could make a Hollywood movie a Hollywood with movie. big stars. All I can tell you is, okay, but I mean, that movie to me is super personal. Here's a guy who, after Raging Bull and King and Comedy, had Last Temptation of Christ fall through. Then he meets up with Michael Ballhouse and he makes After Hours, and he rediscovers his love of cinema. And in that Paul Newman character, at the end saying, I'm back. I see Scorsese being like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not disenchanted. I'm not disillusioned. I love cinema. I love that film. I think it's got great Scorsese style. I love watching him and Michael Ballhouse do all this great stuff. I think Newman and Cruz are on fire in that film. I love the twists and turns. It's a middle aged person's movie because the romance between Newman and I love the dynamic between Cruz and Mastroianni and Newman. So, you know, sometimes you've got to be honest with yourself. Scorsese may feel he was just making a Hollywood movie. It may be one of your least things. I think Color of Money is one of his greatest movies. I love it. I think it's it's awesome. Wolf of Wall Street to me, I love when I see someone in their 70s. Like Someone in their 70s, you more expect them to be making movies like Silence, like Irishman, which are two masterpieces. I love them. And I want to be very clear. I think Silence and Irishman are better than Wolf of Wall Street. I think they're the best that he's ever done. Some of the best he's ever done. Wolf of Wall Street has flaws. It's overlong. I understand your point about it being repetitive but I just when I see that movie I see Scorsese and DiCaprio and Jonah Hill going for it I heard Scorsese say that he told DiCaprio he would only make the movie if he didn't get notes and he said I'm not going to do that again like I'm going to make this movie this movie is about Roman decadence it's about Roman materialism and Scorsese's made this film before Casino others of his movies have tackled the materialism of the worst excesses of American capitalist society. And as a Catholic, it's not that Scorsese is a communist. He certainly isn't. Watch Kundun to see his feelings on Maoism and Mao and communism. He's an American. But you can tell that Scorsese, as a Catholic, as a Christian, when you listen to Jesus say it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and listen, guys, by the way, I'm not trying to sell you on the Jesus juice. Like, <laughs> you can be an atheist, you can be a Jew, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Buddhist, you can be a whatever. You uh, just can't be a Protestant. <laughs> you can be a Protestant. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> you can, My stepfather was a Methodist, and I love going to the Methodist Church. Actually, best sermons I ever heard were at the Methodist Church, I have to say, by Ginny Wheeler. So I'm going to give it up for Ginny. But you can be whatever you want to be, but... I do think that in most philosophies, the life worth living are those inspiring lives where people gave away their money, where people devoted their time to the poor, where people devoted their time to kids who don't have parents, or to civil rights, or to strengthening the democracy, to something bigger than themselves. And I think that one of the inspiring things about the lives of the saints, or Jesus, St. Francis or Martin Luther King or, or Dorothy Day or, or Dorothy, Daniel Bear again, any of these people, whoever you want to pick, you know, you could be a Hindu, Gandhi or whoever you want to pick an in Indian culture or a Muslim, whoever you want to pick in, you know, Malala and whoever it is. What's the name of the girl, uh, the great girl from Scandinavia, who's doing all the climate Greta change, Thunberg. Greta Thunberg who's like calling Trump a clown and stuff. You know, the 16 year old being more brave than almost everybody in the Republican party. And I'm not anti-Republican. I keep saying this. I'm an independent. I voted Republican and Democrat. I see three or four Republicans standing up to a fascist clown right now. And I would call all my Republican friends and be like, where's your backbone? Where's your spine? You're going to sell this country down the river just because your team read? That's a conversation for another time. Trump is a clown. He's a clown. And we all got to fight that. We got to fight that with everything we have in us. Anyway, digression. My point is this. Scorsese has repeatedly come back to themes of how a materialist life corrupts and is not quite the life worth living. And I think that The Wolf of Wall Street, even more than Casino, because Casino ultimately to me is really about a marriage. And I love Casino, but it's really Scorsese's middle-aged movie about his marriages to me. Wolf of Wall Street is Scorsese looking at what we value more and more in our society. And I think throwing up the flare and saying, guys, if we keep going down this path of (sighs) bling bling and the cars I drive and the dancing on the yacht, he even has a hip hop image when they're all like hip hopping it on the, you know, he's explicitly saying, whoa, if this is what we end up valuing more and more and more, the Kardashian lifestyle, the celebrity influencer, bling, bling, materialist lifestyle. And if we keep elevating people like Jordan Belfort or Donald Trump or just these people who make money and plate their lives in gold, we're going to lose our spiritual and moral and ethical bearings. And I don't think he's repeating Goodfellas. I don't think he's repeating Casino. Casino and, and Goodfellas, yes, are about moral and spiritual bankruptcy in a way. But they're about a kind of very obvious crime. Everyone can look at Goodfellas and say, you know what? I never want to shoot a dude in the head. Everyone can look at Casino and say, I don't want to work for the mob. But Jordan Belfort and what those guys were doing, that was until they got caught. Everybody was doing that. When the housing bubble happened in 2007, everybody was doing it again. Scorsese's talking about, for us, what we allow in our society— of acceptable greed and human behavior that exploits people just to make money. When you think that's okay to get on the phone and take some poor guy's money who doesn't know how investing works and take 20,000 of his dollars because you're lying through your face about how he's gonna make money, that's horrible and that's sanctioned by the country. So I just have to say I disagree wholeheartedly. I think that Wolf of Wall Street is powerful and I think that when I see that movie, I also worry that one day if I ever made money, I'm suddenly buying summer homes and cars. You know, and I'm going to tear up a little bit, and I'm not trying to be hypocritical here. And I don't know that this will ever happen, and you'll have to hold me to task. But if I ever made money, yes, I'd want my kids to be okay. I'd want my mom to be okay. I'd want my family to be okay. I'd want to have some money in the bank for retirement or if the bottom fell out. But if I was like a multi, multi millionaire and I had like four or five million, I'm like, this is going to cover us. I really hope to God I give the rest away. What do you need it for? What's more inspiring? You got kids who can't drink water in the world, you know? You don't need that f***ing money. Again, it's easy for me to talk about it. I'm not rich. It's like Treasury of the Sierra Madre. It's easy to talk about giving away money when you don't have money. So see if I do that. But I think that Wolf of Wall Street has more merit than you're giving it credit for. I don't know. I just feel it repeats itself. It says that,
2: but it just says it over and over again. And I feel casino was a better take on excess and uh, materialism. materialism. I actually think Hugo is a more interesting take on a world that devalues things. The world there is growing more industrial. Of course, there is a lack of compassion for film and film history and the arts. And that's the road we are going down. Because, of course, he has to sell his films so they can make shoes in the end. And we're going down that road in our world where film and art are being devalued. But really, that's what brings us together as people. That is what
0: makes us human and brings community out. I totally take your point. Hugo is emotionally moving. Ben Kingsley's performance is incredible. And I think the movie has a lot of good performances. And... I agree with you that if you were drinking whiskey with Scorsese and he was off the record and he trusted you, I think he probably would say that Hugo meant more to him than Wolf of Wall Street. I have a feeling you're probably right about that. I don't know. We we won't know till we have him on the podcast, but I just think we get Margot Robbie like blasting out into the film world as, "Hey, here's an actor you want to work with." You know, I think you see Jonah Hill actually uh, evolve uh, probably in this role in Moneyball into, you know, you're like, oh, Jonah Hill, you know, he can play a part. There's something interesting here. Again, I've already talked about it, but I think there are a number of, even when he's riling up his troops I actually think those sequences are amazing sequences too where you see people shaving their heads and he's basically like getting everybody who works in his company to be as materialistic as he is and also even weirdly like from a filmmaker standpoint I know you know the story but Matthew McConaughey he's all like oh yeah uh 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 was just an exercise he did DiCaprio saw it and said can we put it in the movie And Scorsese said, yeah. And then suddenly by the time you get to the company, they're all doing it. So to see that Scorsese, even in his 70s, is taking an improv moment and making it a tribal thing and building it into a theme that develops later on in the movie. I just find all of it very adroit and very fleet and very inspiring. And I think that it's the kind of movie that you can get people that, you know, bros. I think you'd be, oh, Wolf Wall Street, let's put that on. But ultimately, you could have a conversation with a bro and be like, you love this movie because of the bad behavior and you want to live this lifestyle. Is that really how you want to be? Now, maybe a lot of bros won't have the self-awareness, but I think it's the movie you can get people to sit down at. I think getting them to sit down for Hugo might be a harder sell. Yeah, because
2: it doesn't have DiCaprio in it. And um, And nudity. Yeah. But I guarantee you if... Wolf of Wall Street had starred Michael Fassbender, who I'm a huge fan of as an actor. If it had starred him, the movie would have made only 30 million. If Hugo had starred Leonardo DiCaprio, it would have made 200 million more. They would have seen the beauty of the movie, and it really goes to show that's a, that's a really people. good point. Yeah. I can tell who a real Scorsese fan is the way I can tell who a real friend is. A real friend will be there for you in your innermost desires, and what you want out of life, and your passions and your interests. With Scorsese, with movies like Hugo and Silence, he's going for his innermost passions, his interests, and really saying who he is, but people aren't showing up for those, because no DiCaprio there. Showing that you actually don't care for him. These people don't actually care for him even when they say they care for him. Like, your friends will be there. Your real friends will be there in your times of failure. And they'll be there to support you in what you want to do. And I feel a lot of these people who say they like Shutter Island and Wolf of Wall Street are just... Posers. They don't actually love Scorsese if they did not see Hugo or
0: Silence. I have to say, I think there's a flaw in your argument. Yes, I understand what you're saying about a true friend. But are you saying that an audience is obligated to watch everything an artist does, even when it's a failure?
2: Um, Yeah, because it is a certain exploration they're going through and it's a certain phase they're going through and you can then have a greater understanding of what their next move might be or what their previous move was. I've
0: seen everything that Scorsese has done. I understand your point. If your point is that somebody who goes on and on about being a Scorsese fan doesn't see all his movies, they're a casual Scorsese fan. They're not a committed... You know, I love Dostoevsky. He's one of my favorite novelists. But I haven't actually read many of his books. And so I couldn't sit here and be like, oh, I'm diehard. You know, I'm diehard James Joyce for whatever reason. I love Dostoevsky, but I haven't read The Idiot, Notes from the Underground. There's a number that I have to read. So if I was mouthing off at a party about how I'm a Dostoevsky scholar and someone's like, well, what about The Idiot? And I'd be like, uh then I get your point. But I think that people can be casual fans and they can also decide, this movie doesn't do it for me. I don't think that people are obligated to watch everything an artist does. So in summation, to your point, actually, Patrick, a point you made a moment ago, I do believe that Scorsese has remained such a resilient and relevant filmmaker because He is constantly willing and committed to doing departures. I don't think you could have the muscles he has, filmmaking muscles, if you didn't make a Hugo, if you didn't make a Kundun, if you didn't make a Bringing Out the Dead, if you didn't make a Age of Innocence. So I like Hugo. I think it's a strong movie, and I'm glad he made it. And I will revisit it based on your arguments. I do think it's deeply personal, and I'm very convinced by a lot of what you said. I do feel, and maybe another watching will change my mind, it is not successful at a very basic level. If you make a horror movie, you don't have to make it like all the other horror movies. In fact, you should make it your own. But in the end, people should have been scared. And they should have said, oh, man, that was a great horror movie. I'd never seen anything like it if you make a Western, you should do it differently at this point. You shouldn't be trying to do John Ford Westerns. You you know, what Sergio Leone did to the Western or then what Clint Eastwood did to the Western, you should try to do the Western. How can you do something new with it? But at the end, I feel people should come out of that and be like, that was one of my favorite Westerns. Never seen anything like it. I think with Hugo, to me, I just don't find it a very fun kids movie. I admire it. I admire what it's saying. I don't find it very fun. So I don't know that it works. That's just my feeling. Whereas Wolf of Wall Street is intended to be an R-rated, a hard R-rated, crazy, I can't believe I'm watching this farce about the ridiculousness of a kind of greedy behavior. And I think it succeeds. I think it's to this day Scorsese's most successful movie. I think that everybody went and saw it. Again, I'm not making an argument that Box office equals quality. It does not. I, mean, I want to be very clear. I think Kundun one of his strongest movies. I love Kundun. I don't know anybody else who watches Kundun. I don't think it made anything. But I do think that Wolf of Wall Street succeeded with the audience in a way that Hugo did not. I think Hugo succeeded with Film Lovers and The Academy. I think that the point of the movie is it's not supposed to be the
2: typical fun kids movie. It's a more meditative kids movie. It's a different kind of kids movie. That's what it is setting out for. And I think that the chase sequences are amazing in that movie. And it opens you to a different kind of world you're not used to seeing. And I really think Wolf of Wall Street really just succeeded because it had DiCaprio. his movies were kids, I see that as the spoiled, overprivileged one. And I see Hugo as the underdog. I guarantee you if it had had DiCaprio, would have been a big hit. But it was impossible for him to be in the movie. I really think that more people should seek it out. And I feel if you did show it to more people, they would enjoy it. And also, kind of a test for uh, kids. If your kid doesn't like it, you shouldn't hold up much hope out for their future. And if they do like it, (laughs) you've got a great
0: kid ahead in life. Uh, All right, guys. As always, Patrick and I, we want you to see Hugo. We want you to see Wolf of Wall Street see these movies, see how you feel about them. They're both very worthwhile movies. They're two of the most interesting American movies made in the last 15 years or so. So by all means, check them out, see how you feel, and uh, get back to us, let us know. As always, uh, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com, check out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com, and buy tickets at Eventbrite for secretmovieclub.com. This episode was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd-Cruz, who is doing the yeoman's job of just getting through tons and tons of podcasts we've been recording. Thank you, Connor. Patrick, it was a pleasure. Thank it you. It was f- a pleasure. Thank you for bringing your passion. And, you know, your points are all really well. T- they're all really strong points. You were uh, kept me on my toes. You're a great debater, and and your points are hard to rebut. So congratulations.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. All right, guys.
1: Uh We wish you all the best. Connor, let him know what the next podcast is. Next week's episode, Secret Movie Club Podcast 120, will be a summer break catch-up where me craig and edwin and daniel remotely because he has jury duty will talk about what we've been up to for the last couple of months because the last time we really recorded was like june and uh it's now late september so man i can't wait for that one uh all right have a great week love you family <laughs>